The scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So perhaps you've already been thinking about this since I brought it up during the children's moment, but I want to ask you again. This time I really, really want you to think about it. What is the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? And at this point in the sermon, this is the point where I would love to be able to walk down among the pews and be able to hear from all of you and make you all really uncomfortable because the preacher is leaving the pulpit and, uh, and is making you talk during the sermon time. But, you know, don't have that luxury. So be prepared when we come back together that, you know, I'll probably be doing a lot of that because I miss you all. But what is the purpose of prayer? Why do we pray? Or maybe we should ask, why should we pray? It's, it's talked a lot about in scripture and in religious life, but the reasons why we pray might be just as diverse as the prayers we offer. Perhaps it's because we're just told we're supposed to pray. I don't know about you, but I've grown up my whole life or in or around the church, and that just seems to be like what every person in some role of authority says is, hey, you should pray. Pray about that. You need to pray. You need to be praying more. You need to be praying a lot more. And I'm over here like, all right, cool, I guess I should pray. Or perhaps maybe it's because that's just what we've always done. Maybe your entire uh, Christian journey has just been filled with prayer after prayer after prayer. And that's just what we know we're supposed to do. Or perhaps it's, you know, because we just want to grow closer to God. Just like we talked about in the children's moment, that prayer is this opportunity for us to, to get to know God more and to, you know, allow God to get to know us more. Maybe we're just seeking to grow closer to God. And perhaps it's because sometimes we just don't know what else to do. Sometimes all there is is for us to pray. Perhaps you felt in such a desperate situation as that, in the same way I, I felt sometimes, like, that's it. That's all that there is, just to pray. Whatever the reason may be, you may have for praying, or whatever the reason you may have been told you're supposed to pray is, I do want us to think about it for, for our own journeys in this time. I, I don't often uh, go the route of, of uh, speaking into personal faith. Uh, for reasons I'd be happy to talk about with you if you'd like. But for this moment, I want us to think about our personal faith. 
Why do you specifically pray? And I'm going to go ahead in this time as you're thinking about that, give a disclaimer that in this uh, exploration to follow throughout the rest of this sermon, I could always be wrong. Perhaps you remember, I think it was the, the third sermon I gave whenever I came here to Spring Hill Avenue, what the sermon was titled, You Might Be Wrong. And over half of the sermon was directed to the fact that, hey, I'm human too, and um, I'm not perfect, and I'm also not like the most divinely inspired individual. And so I'm perfectly, I perfectly recognize that I could be wrong. I perfectly recognize that I could be wrong. Take a moment and consider how uh, ironic that statement I just made is because it was very unintentional. Perfect and me being wrong in the same sentence. Uh, I digress. <laughs> I recognize that I could be wrong, and I'm okay with that, and I would love to talk through any uh, reason you might have for thinking I'm wrong, and it's not going to offend me. But I have given this you know, a fair amount of thought, and that's not a defense to it. That's just me saying as we move forward in our time together, this is kind of what I've come up with in, our, in my own concern with prayer. But before we get to that moment, I want to, us to ask one more question. Why did Jesus tell us to pray like this? That's what occurred in our, in our scripture reading this morning. We, we have you know, the scripture from Matthew chapter 6, and in it, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And then we, he goes into this uh, point in which we uh, get what we call the Lord's Prayer from. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Why did Jesus tell us to pray like this, I wonder? In this text, Jesus says uh, just before, and don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites, those who stand on the street corners and lift up their prayers, or those whose prayers just go on for way too long. You've probably noticed I'm pretty guilty of uh, long-winded prayers, and if you haven't noticed, just ask my parents, because that's just what I did growing up. I just wouldn't stop praying. And so Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. But I have to wonder, because, you know, we're not there with Jesus. We don't see what Jesus and the disciples are seeing in this moment. So I wonder, what is it about those prayers that are hypocritical? Is it just because their prayers are really loud and obnoxious, or is it because of what they are saying in their prayers? So firstly, I have to wonder, is it wrong to pray in public? Because, you know, that's, that's what these, these uh, so-called hypocrites are doing. They are out there standing in public, lifting up their prayers loudly for all to hear. So is it wrong to pray in public? Well, if it is, then the church needs to change a lot. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we do a lot of public and corporate prayers. It just happens. It's going to happen at the end of this sermon. We do a lot of prayers publicly. And now that it's out there on social media, the whole world can technically see these prayers. So is that wrong? I don't think so. But perhaps the reason for praying in public can be wrong. Now secondly, in to, the, to the second point is... is are these hypocrites' prayers hypocritical because of what they're saying? Secondly, I, I want you to think, can you say the wrong thing in prayer? 
And in our prayers, can we say the wrong thing? Because if so, then I'm going to be a lot more scared whenever I pray, considering how often I tend to say the wrong thing in general. So can, is it possible for us to say the wrong thing in prayer? And is that what makes our prayers hypocritical? Well, again, I don't think that you can necessarily say the wrong thing in a prayer. God is not weak, first and foremost. God is not weak, and so God can put up with whatever we have to say. God also doesn't condemn us uh, just because we might not know how to pray or might not know what we're supposed to say in a prayer or we don't really know what we're doing, we're just rambling off a list of words. God is a little more gracious than that, and I sincerely apologize if ever before the church has taught you otherwise. And so I don't think that, uh, that Jesus is calling these people hypocrites because they are either praying in public or because they're saying the wrong things. Instead, I think it might be a little bit more about why we pray. And so I take us back to that question, why do we pray? Do we pray to get attention? Do we pray because that's just what we're told to do and we feel like we have to? Do we pray to get our way? Why do we pray? And into that, I also have to wonder if we're considering that the reason behind hypocritical prayers might be why those prayers exist. Why then does Jesus give us a specific way to pray in the Lord's Prayer? And to answer that, I really think that we need to look at the words closely. The words of these prayers in a, in a very intentional way. Uh, point here. So as we talk in this next section, I'm going to kind of be going back and forth between how our text, our, our, how our passage today uh, articulates the words of the Lord's Prayer and also to the traditional version of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so stick with me through it. And, and on that note, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer that even though uh, our text today, the Lord's Prayer, looks different than the way that we are used to praying it with all the uh, thys and thous and, uh, you know, this, this really um, old language. Uh, it comes, it's, nobody talks like that anymore, I don't think. Um, it's just because that's just how translations have evolved over the course of biblical scholarship. So don't take too much offense at the way that our text today portrays the Lord's Prayer. It's not wrong, it's just, well, you know, we've been translating it across a couple of different languages, and so things get turned around in modern culture. Anyways, so we look today at, uh, at these, these words that are given in this specific prayer that Jesus brings forward. And we start with the first, the first four words. Our Father in heaven. Those first four words, that's how the Lord's Prayer opens, or our Father who art in heaven. You know, arts, thou's, thy's, it's all the same. Our Father in heaven is how this prayer opens. So think about each one of these words. Each one of these words holds great weight to them. It starts every time, no matter the translation, uh, the Lord's Prayer starts with the word our, O-U-R. This word that immediately implies it's not just me involved in this. 
And that is a powerful word to begin any prayer. Our, a collective prayer. This is a prayer that we are lifting up across multiple voices. We say this prayer together. And there's a reason why we pray this prayer communally. It's because it is a prayer of community, a prayer of connection, a prayer that unifies all Christians who choose to participate in it. That word, our, holds weight. And then we move on to the second word. It's also a weighty word to begin with, the word father, our father. Now that word has, uh, has a great deal of history to it. In uh, recent scholarship, there's been some debate over whether or not that's the appropriate word to use there. Um, does God have gender? You know, we can get into that detailed argument if you would like. But that's not really going to get us to the place that we need to get to today, I don't think. And so I want us to consider this word father. This is an ancient way of referring to someone whom you have great respect for, as well as referring to someone who has uh, in some way, shape, or form provided for you, gotten you to the place that you are, or has uh, in some way made you who you are. And so it's, it's a very old term of respect. And, you know, also in, uh, in ancient Near Eastern societies, um, women were considered inferior to men. So you don't really see God referred to as, uh, as in feminine terminology very often because of this notion that women were inferior. The authors of uh, the Bible wanted to uh, portray God as, uh, as superior and powerful as possible. So we have... Once again, this word of weight that connects us to whom we are speaking. And it keeps it in the forefront of our mind that this prayer, these words, are not just for any human around us. Even though we're saying it together, it's not just for any human around us. This, this, these words are for God. And then, in heaven, or who art in heaven, uh, once again, we are recognizing God's position. That God is transcendent. Heaven is not a place that we are. Humanity's always known that. We are on earth. God is in heaven. You know, there's that separation. God is transcendent from humanity. God is above. And then we move into the next line. Hallowed be your name. Or hallowed be thy name. Uh, the word hallowed just means holy. That which is holy. And the word holy means that which is set apart. That which is distinguished that which is pure. And so whenever we say those words, hallowed be thy name, we are saying, God, your name is holy. Everything about you is set apart from everything about us. And we want to take a moment to recognize and give glory and honor to your name. Once again, an ancient way of bestowing respect. Nobody really says to each other, your name be honored anymore. But in ancient Near Eastern societies and civilizations uh, rising around this time, to honor a person's name was to honor their very existence and what it meant to be them. And then we start getting into the meat of it. So we've just had the introduction of the prayer. Can you believe we just spent that much time just on the introduction? Then we start getting into the meat of it, which in which we say, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, or thy kingdom come. This is a powerful statement. It's a moving statement because in this moment, in this moment of, of collective prayer, we are crying out to God, let your kingdom come. 
right here, right now, break through the barriers between heaven and earth and reveal yourself among us in this way. And God's kingdom, remember the, uh, the, the aspect of kingdom, even though we're not very familiar with what it's like to live in a kingdom, that very notion implies God is reigning. That humanity no longer has any say in how things are done, but everything is dictated by the very love of God. And so we're calling on God's love, God's way of life to be made known among us. And then we have the words, your will be done. Your will be done. In this moment of the prayer, we are saying everything about what you want to happen in our world, let it be so in our lives. Let us be the instruments of your will in our world. We are calling out to you, God, in this collective moment, as we are desiring to see your kingdom break through here on earth, that we also get to see your will be done through us. And that right there is a very daunting part, to me at least, of this prayer, because it's not as as fluffy and sweet and nice as we may think, because God's will oftentimes takes us out of our comfort zone. Remember some of the uh, things that Jesus teaches, like give all your money to the poor, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. These kind of things that call us into uh, selfless love rather than just focusing on ourselves. So God's will is not always easy for us to grasp but in this prayer it's something we are calling on that we might be oriented to god's will and then we get into the line on earth as it is in heaven a moment in which we are crying out to god that in the same way that your kingdom and your will are known and and, and take shape and form in heaven let it be so right here where we are in the realm of humanity let it be so and then we have this line give us today our daily bread a line in which we, uh, which comes out of the moment in which the Israelites were in uh, in the wilderness, wandering for you know however long they were there, um, and and they end up crying out for uh, for food to eat, and so every single day God provides them with manna from heaven, with bread. Every single day offers these provisions to the people that they might be sustained, that they might have their life. And so this moment, this point of the prayer, we are calling out to God, sustain us. Provide us with what we need to get by. Because it is only through you that we can be sustained. And then we get into another challenging part of this prayer. And forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses. It's a moment in which we ask God for forgiveness. In fact, this line and the next line uh, are, are the focus of the following verses after our text today. In which Jesus says, how are you to be forgiven if you yourself don't forgive? But we start out calling to God, forgive us of all that we have done. For we recognize in this moment of our prayer that we have done wrong. That we have broken your law. That we have rebelled against your love. That we have not been the church that the world needs us to be and that your will calls us to be. So forgive us. Then, as we have also forgiven our debtors, or as we forgive those who trespass against us. Once again, it's, it's asking us to recognize calling out for forgiveness is also linked with forgiving within ourselves. How can we ask for forgiveness if we haven't also forgiven those around us? Um, I'm personally uh, not one who holds on to grudges, mostly because I have a really bad memory and I forget about why I was mad at somebody to begin with. 
Um, but maybe you are a person who likes to hold on to hold on to things, or maybe anger is something that's that's very difficult uh, to release. And this moment allows us to remember that we need to give that up, that we need to release that and give it over to God, because it's not for us to hold on to. And then we get into probably one of the most uh, confusing lines of the entire Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation. Does God tempt people? Is God a person who leads people to temptation? The uh, short answer to that is no. That's not who God is. God's personality is uh, the opposite of that. Everything about who God is contradicts that. God is constantly drawing people into love, not into temptation. So what's going on here? Uh, this word temptation here uh, isn't really talking about the way we think about temptation, like uh, where we feel tempted to do something that's wrong. Uh, this temptation uh, is actually a word that refers to the end of days. And it's a little bit confusing, but, um, but around Jesus' time, there comes up this uh, understanding that in the in the last days there will be the great temptation in which people are uh, all across the globe are moved to uh, reject God in every sense of the, the fashion and, and to completely go their own way and focus solely on themselves rather than on God. And so whenever it's saying lead us not to temptation, what's actually being asked here in the Lord's Prayer is don't let us see the darkest days of earth. Don't let us be the people who forget you. Don't let us be the people who turn our backs on you. So it's a very powerful part of this prayer, recognizing in anticipation for something that could happen later on in, in humanity's history. Don't let us be those people. We want to stay right where you are. And then we get into the, to the line, but deliver us from evil, or our text today says, uh, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, also referring to the end of days message here in which we're crying out collectively keep us away from that evil time keep us away from that moment in which the rest of humanity rejects you and then we get to the closing lines for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever it's just a, a closing moment uh, like wrapping up a, a letter saying sincerely so-and-so. Um, it's just saying, because everything I recognize in this moment is yours, and I want this prayer to draw me closer to you. And then the final word of the Lord's Prayer, Amen, a word which simply means, let it be so. Let everything that I have asked for right in this moment be according to your will, and let it be done. And so that's basically the Lord's Prayer wrapped up. Uh, and so, want us to think about why we have that prayer now. Now that we've kind of explored line by line everything that's going on here, I hope that we can recognize two important things that this prayer leads us toward. The first is that when we pray this prayer, we unite with a 2,000 plus year old heritage, as well as billions of living Christians today seeking to encounter God. Consider that. This prayer, as Jesus taught it to his disciples, over 2,000 years old. And for 2,000 years, Christians, people who have followed Jesus, have been praying this prayer as well. 
And so we join in this heritage. Think about that. There's not much else in all of society that we have been doing for 2,000 years that we still do today. There are things like gathering together for a meal, but even the purpose behind that can be a little askew today in today's society. But this is something that for 2,000 years people have been praying. These words calling upon God that we as a community might encounter God. It's something that we join together with, not just the people who are around us, not just the people in the room, but all of this Christian heritage for the past 2,000 years and all across the globe. That's an incredible, incredible thought to behold. And so the first thing that I want us to take note of as to why we pray and the purpose of this prayer, it's to unite our voices with all of history calling out to seek and encounter God. And the second thing that, uh, that this prayer uh, turns us towards, and this is perhaps the most important, and the reason why I believe we pray, or we should pray, this prayer aligns our will to the will of God. Think about that for just a moment. This prayer aligns our will to the will of God. In other words, as we pray this, we are asking God to transform us, to reshape us, to align everything that we want in our lives with everything that God wants for our lives. And believe you me, those two things can look very different until we go through those movements of allowing God to reshape us, transform us, and align our will to God's will. And so... My challenge for us this week, as we continue to think about the Lord's Prayer and the significance of prayer in general, I, I want you to try to do something for me. And it's going to sound really hypocritical. I'm going to bring that word back in for a moment. But I want you to do this uh, in, in a very intentional way. My challenge to you is that during this week, you will try to pray the Lord's Prayer in your own words. Just that. Try to pray the Lord's Prayer in your own words. In other words, you know, paraphrase it. Change the words a little bit so that uh, whatever is being said there, you fully understand what those words mean. Because this isn't a prayer we just mindlessly say because it's in the bulletin every single week. It's a prayer of intentionality, a prayer of community, a prayer of transformation. So during this week, and even if you feel uncomfortable with this, that's fine. Just think about intentionally what these words are saying, but I, I challenge you to pray this prayer in your own words so that you might come to understand and have a, a, a deeper grasp, just as I hope to, of the Lord's Prayer. And so it can be something like, uh, something like this, to put it in my own words. Our eternal hope who transcends us all. You are everything we need. Let your way of living and your way of loving be the way that we live and love every day. Today, give us all we need to get by. And may we learn forgiveness as we ask you to forgive us. May we never see the darkest days of this world, but instead let us look toward only your glory. You are our creator, redeemer, and our sustainer, and we are yours. Let it be so. Just something like that. Each line was just my own paraphrase of how I understand the words of the Lord's Prayer in a way that gets me to think deeper about the words that I'm praying whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer. And I hope that you will do that as well. 
And so as we prepare to go forward, let us, as we continue to pray this prayer for many days to come, seek to understand God's will for us. Let us be transformed by our prayers that we might truly see God's kingdom come and will be done here. Let us remember that we do not pray alone. And let us pray together in this time.